Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and uh, we're going to continue in our series on uh, the soul, our soul series. And uh, what is the soul? How does it differ from the spirit? What What is your car? It's a mode of transportation. It's a, it's a way to get from point A to point B. It's an instrument in the physical world that allows you to travel through this world. But what is gasoline? Gasoline is what you put in the car. And without the gasoline, the engine doesn't work. And without the engine, the car doesn't move unless you push it manually, which uh, is a limited uh, uh, way to get around in a car. You'd be better off without the car and just walk. <laughs> so anyway, uh, so what is the soul? The soul is, let's go back. Everybody wants to talk about the Trinity. I, there are people who have been writing me and wanting to know why I don't have anything on the website about Trinity and where's, where do I write about the Trinity. I don't write about the Trinity and neither did anybody who wrote the Bible. They didn't write the word Trinity in the Bible. Uh, they talk about concepts of uh, three-party concept, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, but they don't define it as the Trinity. Uh, and you actually, if you go back into the Old Testament and you start looking around and start understanding Hebrew, you start seeing that they do talk about kind of a three-party element to creation. And, of course, we have the first party, which is God the Father, who uh, created heaven and earth by speaking it into existence. Uh, so you you deal with the mind of God you know, and they, everybody wants to name God like he's going to carry around an ID card with his name on it. And the, the fact is, is he, he just said, just tell them that I am that I am. He didn't say my name is I am. He said that I am. <laughs> That's it. And uh, he's, there is a pre-existing divine intelligence to what we see as creation. When we look at creation, you can see that there is an intelligent design. Your modern theorists on evolution just cringe when you mention intelligent design because they want to think that we are just self-creating, that we just, a series of chemicals came together and this kind of suddenly life kind of spawned itself and and then it's just in the process of elimination got us down to this point in our existence. And uh, it all started with a big bang. They don't explain what banged, what caused things to bang. I mean, we live in a universe of cause and effect. Everything has to have a cause and everything has an effect. And every effect causes something else. I mean, it's it's a cause and effect universe over and over and over again like a you know, when you're in the barber shop and you sit in there as a, at least when, last time I was in a barber shop, I was a, <laughs> very young. I haven't been to a, I haven't gone to pay a barber since before I was married. When you sit there, there's a mirror at one side and there's a mirror at the other. And that always fascinated me because you could see yourself in the mirror, but then you could see the mirror behind in the mirror. And then the, the, it reflected the mirror. And so you had this infinite series of images of yourself going down through the mirror. 
going back and forth. Well, that's cause and effect. And uh, that's kind of what cause and effect is like. And that that's how you move through time, through this cause and effect. That uh, the past is in the present, in, in the uh, manifestation of the present effect. That's the present is the effect of the past, which was the cause. So in the beginning, there was this mind of God that set everything into motion. So God is in the present because God was the beginning of the past. And he will be in the future because this present will move into the future. Like the Indians say, yesterday is ashes, tomorrow is wood. Only today burns brightly. Because that's, you know, as he sits around his campfire, that's that's the wisdom of the Indian. And it's probably the same idea goes back even to other cultures. And, and this idea that we're in the present, we're in this moment, but we have brought the past with us. So God is the beginning and the intelligence of God, the divine intelligence of God is carried on through creation. But then there's the sun made flesh and the word was made flesh and it it dwelt among us it it's this existence of that divine creator existing in the son of man well we're the children of god and it's supposed to be existing in us but something's happened so that the whole divine intelligence the whole truth which is all of that divine intelligence is not always in us and the reason why is we block it out. We cover ourselves from it. We hide from it. And uh, so then, how do we get back to that? And then this, we get back there uh, through this spirit that is going to bring us back uh, to where we need to get back to. You know, we... We had a little adventure here this morning where somebody took a rig that they were not supposed to take, that it wasn't the rig that was to be used. Uh, it has a shredded back tire, and they, they, some sort of miscommunication, they took the wrong rig and drove off with it. And when we discovered that they drove off with that rig, we had to get a hold of them and say, Stop! Turn around! Come back! And we don't even know if they have enough gas to get back, but anyway, they're... They're on their way back because they've gone the wrong way with the wrong rig, with the with the wrong stuff, <laughs> and they have to come back. They have to turn around and go back the same way they came, hopefully very slowly, and to get back to the starting point. Well, that's kind of us. We've all got into the wrong rig. We've gone the wrong direction. The way we are going is not safe, and we have to turn around and go back to where we began. And to follow that path back from where we started to get back to point A, where we can start out properly. And now the instrument of that uh, spirit speaking to us is through our soul. Divine revelation comes through the soul. And we receive that. And we talked in the, earlier in the series about dreams, about visions, and uh, about how that all works together and, we, and how we can interpret it. Because the, God does not speak English. He doesn't speak Swedish. He doesn't speak Norwegian. But he speaks to people in Norway and Sweden and China and, and America. But he, 
but he speaks to them through this revelation, and our brains interpret it. Well, sometimes things are lost in interpretation, in translation. And we misunderstand what God is saying. So we have to learn to listen to that still, small voice very carefully. And this is in the operation of the soul, because everything is filtered through our soul. Well, we're not really willing to look at our soul entirely. We're not really willing to look at our our corporeal and incorporeal hereditaments of personality. You ever smash your thumb and, you know, you, you, you grab it because you just hit it with your, your hammer and you, you kind of hold it, you know, because there's going to be a blood blister underneath that thumb. <laughs> this is what I do when I smash my thumb. And when I go to look at it, I find myself like peeking at it <laughs> as if that's going to, if I peek at it, it won't be as bad, <laughs> but it, it is what it is. But you peek at it because you want to see how bad did you hurt your thumb. And uh, this is a little bit with our soul. When we've made b- bad choices, we don't necessarily want to look at what we've done. We, we've screwed up, and so we don't want to look at it. And some people don't want to look at it at all. You know, they turn their head away and they just will not look at it. And this is, of course, Adam and Eve in the beginning. They hid from God, from that divine intelligence. And we're all still doing the same thing. And then when God pointed it out, they denied it. It's not my fault. It's the woman you gave me. This is this is the pattern of our own humanity, full of excuses, full of denial, full of not wanting to see our own hearts, our own minds. And it, which is, should be the mind of God. And if it was the mind of God, it's going to shed light on who we are and what we are. So anyway, to get this idea of mind, body, and soul, mind being God, body being Christ, soul, um, that's the way we translate it, soul, uh, mind, body, and soul, the soul, the spirit is acting upon the soul. But what spirit is acting upon the soul because according to God there's lots of spirits there's the spirit of Satan which is not God it may look like God it may be a lot like God it may have a lot of good values to it but it also is missing something so it's not the whole truth so it's a it's a liar because anytime you don't tell the whole truth that's a lie lie by omission and so anyway drawing that picture we're going to go explore deeper into what is this soul you know, we gave one definition. Actually, we gave two definitions. The spiritual in, or immaterial part of the human being of animal regarded as immortal. So this human being or animal regarded as immortal, living beyond the death of the body. And so that uh, that soul is evidently uh, multidimensional. We live in the place where our body is, which is this dimension. We talked about this, that uh, science tells us there are multiple dimensions out there. And they see energy coming from those other dimensions. And they're spending millions and billions of dollars trying to to open a doorway to these other dimensions. And, of course, we know in the Bible says there's other dimensions. There's many houses. Uh, my father has many houses. And... One of those dimensions we call heaven, and another one of those dimensions we call hell. They're actual places, but they're other dimensions. And you're either drawn towards heaven, which has in it 
that original divine intelligence in its entirety. It's complete. It's the truth. That's where the truth comes from, is that dimension we call heaven. We identify it with this label we put on it, heaven. There's this other dimension we call hell, and that does not have the whole truth. It may have bits and pieces of the truth, but it doesn't have the whole truth. Because that's where the king of liars lives. You know, Beelzebub, Satan. Satan is the adversary. Anything that's not the whole truth is the adversary of the truth. Because it's blocking out some of the truth. It may have characteristics like loyalty and, and uh, authority and, and uh, all kinds of uh, qualities to it. But it's not the whole truth. Therefore, it's a lie. And it's this other realm. And because it's not the source, it depends upon the life of others. It has to eat of others to live. And Christ says, you know, I have food of which you do not eat. You know, that is not made of bread. All, all that is not, we don't just eat the world. And he does not turn people into bread. He does not turn stones into bread. He does not take a bite out of one another. That realm we call hell, that has the idea of taking a bite out of one another, of using one another, of uh, depending for, uh, upon others for our living, and uh, you know, serving these deceitful meats that we see talked about in Proverbs, that uh, run towards death and destruction. And so... These are the two sides of this equation of the entire universe where there are other realms, other dimensions. We call them realms, dimensions. What difference does it make? You know, we don't see it clearly, but we're talking about it in terms so that you can create an image in your mind as to what is heaven, what is here, what is hell. You know, what, what are these different dimensions all about? How do we go to the one that giveth life? How are we drawn towards that? Well, by taking on the name, the characteristics of the Creator, the God, the I Am. If we take those on and receive those, then we will be drawn towards that heavenly realm, dimension. If we reject those characteristics of God, and therefore the characteristics of Christ, because Christ, if we believe that Christ was like a God, the Son of the Father. If you've seen the Son, you have seen the Father. If you believe that, then the characteristics of Christ are the characteristics that we want to accept into our own life and live our life according to those characteristics. And this will automatically, through the powers of the universe, draw us to that realm that we call heaven. That dimension we call heaven. Okay. So, how do we do that? And what does that look like? What what would be God's characteristics, which we see in Jesus' characteristics, those would be the good characteristics. And what we would see as not good characteristics would be something missing those characteristics, some sort of existence that misses those characteristics. So, Christ is also, besides calling, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the light. All these things are overlapping concepts, but different ways of saying the same thing. That's what we want to be like. We want to be like Christ. Well, what did Christ do? What was the major characteristic of Christ? He came to serve. He came to lay down his life 
for others. So if we don't gather together with the intent to serve, to lay down our life for others in a way that strengthens them, because he doesn't want to make us weak, he wants to make us strong, strong in the ways of God, so that we also are following the ways of God, that, that is coming in the name of Christ. That is coming in the name of Jesus. That is coming in the name of Yeshua. That is coming in the name of righteousness of the Father because that is part of his characteristics. Now, Satan, he isn't going to lay down his life for you. He wants you to lay down your life for him. (laughs) So, that's a different spirit. Now, it may not be that extreme, but you can see the pattern developing right there. So God is speaking to us all the time. He's speaking the whole world into existence every moment. And so, are we listening? Are we listening to his voice? And and why is such a powerful voice still and small, that still small voice? Because it's not going to force you to do what's right. It's going to encourage you to do what's right. It's going to try to awaken you to do what's right. And, and that's what... Uh, that's what you want to be a part of. So, now you, you have a little bit of a picture of what is good and what is evil. Well, there's a lot of other ways to get a clearer and clearer picture of that. And that's what the Bible is talking about. But you want the Holy Spirit speaking to your soul. And then, when you read the Bible, you will understand it. If you think you can take your mind and go to the Bible, read the Bible, and figure it out, you've already stepped off the path. You've already gone the wrong way because your brain is you. It's your ego, your mind. You are you are eating of the tree of knowledge saying, I can decide what is good and evil by eating of the tree of my knowledge and information. I read the Bible. Now I know what is good and evil because I interpreted the Bible privately and came up with these conclusions. No, you can't do that. You have to be still. And actually create a relationship with the Father, the Creator. Through this Son, we filter it through the character of the Son. And by way of the Holy Spirit. Mind, body, and spirit. And we do that by connecting our soul. By taking our soul and leaning our soul up against the glass of heaven. That veil of heaven. And all this stuff about temples and veils and this is imagery trying to show you how it really works right where you are at you're sitting in a house you're sitting in a car you're sitting in a truck you want to understand how it it works and the only way you can do that is to allow your soul to touch the veil of god to reach out to god and god will Send his spirit to show you the way. And you will see the way. Unfortunately, or fortunately, or just this is the fact, you're also going to see yourself as you are. You're going to see that you're not perfect, that you are really a sinner. Not just say you're a sinner. You're going to actually see the sin. You're going to see your selfishness. You're going to see your anger. You're going to see all the ugliness that has seeped into your being. And you're going to have to see that because... Just like if you took that wrong road and you went the wrong way, in order to go back, you have to go back all those places that you went wrong at. 
you know, where you, you I, I went down this road and I turned here and I turned there. Well, now you have to backtrack. You're going to have to go back and see those mistakes. You're going to have to see what you did wrong. And this is where people uncover things in their dreams, in their imagination, uh, in their minds that they completely forgot about. I, you know, and, you know, what they call oppressed memories or suppressed memories. Uh, but it's you, your brain shuts off from these things. Oh, I didn't even remember I did that. Uh, oh, I forgot all about that. <laughs> you put that away in the dark recesses of your mind. But when you enter into those dark recesses of your mind and you begin to see those things you've done wrong, you've injured others, you've hurt others, you lied, you you misrepresented things, you were selfish, uh, you didn't do what you should have done. Uh, for what reason or other, you're going to find other dark, evil things lurking in those places of your soul that have reached into your being from that other dimension we call hell. And uh, we could we could show you a lot of those things. I was just showing somebody the other day. There was a video uh, on the Internet where somebody had his neighbor. He called it his creepy neighbor was sticking his hand underneath a fence. And you could see the hand coming underneath there, just reaching around, feeling around dirt, rocks, leaves, and, and stuff, feeling around under that. And you think, like, what is he doing? And the guy's filming it with his phone. And then he films the guy over the fence and uh, startles the guy because he's actually filming the guy over the fence. And you hear the guy yell, scream, as he's startled and everything. And he's saying, what are you doing reaching under my fence? I don't know what you're doing. And he screams, and he uses a certain tone in his voice. And he throws a certain kind of fit. I see that same spirit in other, in demonstrators, in, uh, in uh, people whining and crying about, oh, woe was me, a victim, and all this kind of stuff. There are patterns just as there are patterns in creation and God's creation, there are good patterns because they all come from God. But then there are other patterns that we're seeing manifested in the world today, and we've seen them for centuries and centuries, although I see a huge resurgence of many different characteristics of evil. There are many patterns in the realms of evil and, and hell. And see, the closer you get to heaven, the more you put on the full armor of God, the more you can see these things with impunity. They don't like to be seen. But most people, when they see this evil, or the evil being manifested in other people, they don't really see the evil because they're seeing with their physical eyes. They're filtering everything they're seeing through their physical eyes. And their physical eyes are dampened by the fact that they haven't seen the truth about themselves. The more you see the truth about yourself, the more you can see this evil operating in the world in many people. We'll be right back.
we'll go back to the keys of the kingdom. Just to finish this thought, and then go back to, uh, I was going to talk to you about, to can good exist without evil? And what is evil? What is good? What is the difference? And But to bring you back to this idea, just to give you a glimpse into what we may get into later on this afternoon, is is that the fact is, is there are patterns in evil, and there are patterns in good. And it's like genetic code. Good has this perfect genetic code. And everything fits together. But when you take out certain sequences of the genetic code and then try to reproduce something, you're going to get a distortion. You're going to get a distortion of what is produced. You know, it's going to be missing something. You know, we we see people born without certain limbs and stuff like that because something happened where their genetic code was damaged or was missing or something. And then, of course, there are people who are born and just simply die because extremely important organs are missing uh, or they die in the womb and then because something went wrong with the genetic code. And uh, so it terminates itself and then you have to uh, start over again. And uh, so all that is just a part of nature because every... Every little part of the genetic code, even though they can't figure out what it's all for, is important. And you can't just take out pieces. Well, now we have genetically modified organisms where they're taking out pieces of genetic code and putting in other pieces of genetic code from other species. And, yeah, it'll show up this characteristic and that characteristic, but they have no idea what other items they are also bringing into play in the genetic gene pool, because now they start reproducing those plants with this altered genetic code, not naturally altered, but chemically and, and laboratorily altered, and they're bringing it in, and they have no idea of the long-term repercussions of that. It's one of the most dangerous things. And, uh, you know, I was, I was dealing with the sciences like this when I was nine years old, and, uh, competing against high school students in science fairs, and winning. <laughs> so I have a little bit of background. There's a lot of other people that have real smart backgrounds. We have a page up at Preparing You about GMOs. And I, I added a number of videos there so you can see what's going on. Very dangerous. But it's actually what's happening. Because the genetics are the result of the original design of God. This original pattern of God. And... What's happening is they're altering that. Well, the reality is the original pattern was spiritual. And we're altering that. And religion is used to alter that. Modern religion, not real religion, not pure religion. Religion is altering the spiritual genetics of mankind. So now, when you fall prey to some of these temptations and some of these selfish, wantonness ways that are not the ways of God. It begins to alter your mind. It begins to alter your body. And it will alter your behavior. But the closer you get back to God, the more easy it is, the uh, the, the more simplified it is in recognizing those adulterated alterations in others. You begin to see the adulterated patterns and you say oh my gosh that's from hell well 
that's that's good because that can offer you a certain amount of protection, protection for your family, uh, protection for for your neighborhood because you see that. But a secondary thing happens when you see that evil with the spirit of Christ, which is not coming to judge, just observe. You have you become the manifestation of the light in your community. You know, you don't put that light under a bushel basket. You put it up on a lampstand. And that light will drive away those evil spirits who already hate that light. It will drive them back. It will disarm them. It will take away their power because of the fact that you have brought the light they hate. Now, what they want you to do is fall to their sin. They want you to fall to their error. They want you to develop their blindness. They hate it that you see. They despise it that you see. They want to make you so that you can't see them anymore. And they they will even want to kill you to make that happen. That's why you must put on the full armor of God because evil is not alone. Evil is organized. Evil, you know, this evil spirit, you can see the evil in that person. But you can't see the evil in that person. This is why you have ministers who are molesting children, priests who are molesting children, and nobody even sees. They don't see the problem. And uh, they say, well, I had no idea. Why not? Couldn't you see the evil in that man? The evil, I'm not saying the man was evil. I'm saying the operation of the man was evil. Well, actually, once you understand the Nicolaisden you realize that almost everybody you know on your street is manifesting a a one type of spiritual evil, which is they are coveting their neighbor's goods or turning a blind eye to, to that covetousness and uh, allowing evil to enter into their community, into their society, into their whole nation. Now, that is pervasive throughout the world. This covetous nature. This is, they have believed the lie that it's okay to covet your neighbor's goods as long as you do it through government. And then they misinterpret, have to misinterpret Romans 13 to think that, oh, well, all governments are put there by God, which it doesn't say that at all. And you have to go read your article on that. But the point is, you are blinded. Now you have, if you want to see that, you have to start seeing the truth about yourself. And then take another look at the world. And this is this is one of the values of discipleship. I just started working on uh, a series on discipleship so that people will understand. Because I have people thinking they're discipling other people and they're not. Because they themselves have things they have not yet seen. They've seen some stuff. But they need to see more. I need to see more. And so God is constantly putting people in my path. They're helping me see more. Uh, that may be enough said along those lines, I'm going, even though I haven't finished that thought, but I'm giving you a little bit of a picture. So let's go back to that question. Can good exist without evil? Well, absolutely, good can exist without evil. But uh, what good can't do, uh, let's put it this way, good can only exist with the possibility of evil. Therefore, there must be choice. That's choice creates the possibility of evil. Now, remember, if good 
is light and darkness is equated with evil, that gives you a tremendous opportunity for insight into what is good and what is evil. Because what is good is that divine truth, that complete truth, that whole truth of the divine character of the I Am, the existing one. That is good. That is the white light of creation. What is evil is simply missing some of that light. It may still be bright. It may still be colorful. But it's missing some of that light. And we call that darkness. Now it can get real dark. And when it's real dark, you can see the contrast. But the darkness and the light are separated. Separation of the dark and the light. But it's only separated because the light exists and the dark is where the light does not exist. Well, why doesn't the light exist there? Is because somebody has blocked out the light. Or the light simply hasn't gone there yet. But if you block out the light, shadow your, you know, when you don't want to see something, you put your hand in front of your eyes, you know, like, like that makes it go away. You know, the little kid watching the scary movie puts their hands over their eyes. Does that make what's scary go away? No, it just makes it so you don't see it. The light is still there, but you're not seeing it. Now, when you're talking of multidimensional light, because there's all kinds of light in heaven, and heaven is right here. It's just in another dimension. There's overlapping dimensions, but you don't see heaven. You only see this world. Because you're only seeing with your physical eyes, which exist in this world. If you could look around you through spiritual eyes, somebody were to pull back that veil, then you would see everything that's going on around you in heavenly realms. And you would see the light of that heavenly realm. And you actually do that when you, um, when you Listen to the still small voice. You're bringing in that. They're pulling back that veil. The more you listen and act upon what the Holy Spirit is telling you, the more that veil will be pulled back and the more of that light will come in to you. And then the more of that light that comes into you, the more you'll see about yourself. The more you see about yourself, the more the light will come into you. Well, what happens with that light coming into you? It goes out to others. It, it shines out around about you. Well, it's not a visible light. Not to your physical eyes. You don't see that light. But that light that's coming into you is shining out in this realm, but it's, an, it's a multidimensional light. It's outside the frequency of what you can see. Or what you could even perceive with a camera, probably. You may see... You may see the quantum effect of the presence of that light, but you will not see that light in this dimension. It's a multidimensional light and it's coming through you. And it's coming to, through you by grace. God is allowing that to come through you because you don't deserve that light. But God will allow it. The more you hear His voice and act upon that, that is so important that you hear and act upon that. Because that's why Jesus says it's not those who hear or say, but those who do. You know, many will hear, but they won't do. 
it's very important you turn what you're hearing into action. So if you're hearing that you need to lay down your life, you need to come together to serve, then you actually need to come together to serve. And then more of that multidimensional light from heaven will come into you and shine out. The consequences is that you're going to see more of yourself. You will be able to perceive the morphed existence of evil in the world and other people. But of course you cannot, you must judge not, lest you be judged. You're just seeing, you're observing, you're not passing judgment. You let leave judgment to God. You don't become proud and arrogant of what you see. You're leaving judgment to God. Because that's, that's one of the big temptations. You see somebody's done something wrong and you want to go like smack them upside the head. And as soon as you want to do that, you cut off the Holy Spirit. Cut off the power of the Holy Spirit because it's not your power, it's His power that must move through you. And you don't get to take the reins of control of that Holy Spirit. You must let it act on its own. Because you're not in charge of the Holy Spirit. You're allowing it to move through you. And it's very important you allow all of the Holy Spirit to move through you. Otherwise, you're just, you're going to be a producer of evil yourself. Because you, if you begin to block some of the truth of the Holy Spirit, then you become unholy. You become less than holy. So anyway, back to that idea. Can good exist without evil? Good can only exist with the possibility of evil. Therefore, what we're saying is that good can exist. Love of God can exist because you have choice. That's the only choice you have. Most of the choices you make every day are the result of that choice. So Adam and Eve had choices. They had two trees. Eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, their own minds, deciding what is right and wrong for themselves. Or they eat of the tree of life and allow God to make that decision and they walk with God. They decided to decide for themselves and then they could. They had to hide. They couldn't walk with God anymore. And then God put a cherub in there with a fiery sword that gave light and they hated the light so they fled the sword. And they fled that the presence of God. And they tried to make it out in the world. <laughs> by Without God. And, you know, like the guy says, how's that working out for you? So now you want to go back to the garden. Because we've been redeemed. But we don't have access to that redemption without repentance. You have to think a different way. We have to first realize we cannot decide what is good and evil. We can be shown what is good and evil, but it is not our decision. Well, in order to be shown that, we have to go back and willing to face, have to go back the way we came and face the truth about ourselves and accept the light of God that will show us both the evil in others and the evil in ourselves. But when we see the evil in others, we cannot judge them. We are not judged. God is judge. But seeing that evil, uh, without judgment, you will see the manifestation of the power of God. Driving out the evil ones who will not accept the light. And being a beacon to those who will accept the light. But they can't depend upon the light from you. They must go within their own inner journey. 
and see their own errors, their own failings, their own selfishness. You know, people will think, I'm not selfish because I do this for my children, for, you know, I, I take care of my son, I, 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 you know, maybe take care of my mother. They imagine that they're doing all kinds of wonderful things, but the reality is, this is in their own imagination. What are they not seeing? And, and everybody needs to be asking that question. What am I not seeing? You know, I think I see. <laughs> if you think you see, then you remain blind. What you have to realize is you don't see. If you're not walking on water, there's something you're not seeing. If you're not healing the sick with your shadow, you're not seeing something. So there, every one of us has something to see about ourselves. So we have to learn to be still and, and look for that. And we would like to disciple people and show them how to do that. But they have to want to see it. It's no good if you don't really want to see the truth. So there's something called individuation. I came across that. We're going to change pace here a little bit. But we're still on this topic of soul and spirit. You know, soul... Again, another definition, you know, I, I was giving you that first definition. Another definition is the essence or embodiment of a specific quality. So the soul can be the essence and embodiment of specified quality of man. Okay. Characteristic of man. Well, do you have the soul of God or do you have the soul of man? Do you have the soul of a fallen man? What is that? Well, another definition, another way to look at the soul is the incorporeal hereditaments of personality. Sins of the Father. You're going to inherit the sins of the Father. And it doesn't mean you're condemned to that, but you're going to inherit them. If your father needed to go back this way to see his own problems, you're going to need to go back that way or be willing to go back that way. Even though you didn't commit the sin, you need to see the sin without judgment. You see the sin with love. The Nicolaitan does not see his sin. He he thinks that he he may even think he's saved, but he doesn't see his sin. You you have to see, and the kingdom of God is from generation to generation. So the fact is is that if your father was a Nicolaitan, even though he may have been a really nice guy and he went to church and and he, you know he was a good Baptist, he still may have been a Nicolaitan. Go find out what a Nicolaitan is. You inherit his sin. Now, you can overcome that in the twinkling of an eye if you repent and think the way of Christ. It's not enough. Repenting isn't about being sorry. It's about thinking another way. You have to think like Christ. As soon as you're thinking like Christ, you will be serving others and sacrificing yourself. You will not be slothful. You you will not be misunderstanding everything that's going on around you. You will not be making assumptions that get you into trouble because you're going to be like Christ. You're going to see things that other people don't see. Your eyes, everybody wants to, you know, somebody to interpret revelations for them and tell them what revelations mean. Why is it you don't know what it means? If if it's revelation that he's going to build his church on, why do you find... You know, the revelation, the book, so complicated. It should be simple. 
You should actually know everything the author knew without even reading it. Because Revelation isn't dependent upon what you read, what you study. Revelation is Revelation. It's telling you, it's showing you what other people do not see. What you cannot see with these eyes. But the fact is, is that we are in need of repentance. Thinking a different way. Going a different way. You know, because it, you know, it says repent and seek. That's that action thing. Repent is to think a different way and put that thinking into action. Seeking the righteousness of God in all the things that you do. So that's what you have to do to go this other way. And this, this other way has to do with the soul. And the acceptance of the light into the soul, which will illuminate where you went wrong and your failings. Individuation is a process of transformation whereby the personal and collective unconsciousness are brought into consciousness. Uh, and they give examples. This is, this is a psychologist's term. And so we're using that term, and I'm using the definition of this term to kind of show you the principle. And they give an EG here. By means of dreams, active imagination, free association. And, uh, but anyway, it's this act of bringing the unconscious into the conscious mind to be assimilated into the whole personality. In other words, hearing that psychological definition of individuation. Isn't that what I've kind of been talking about? Seeing the truth about yourself? Going into the dark recesses of your mind. Now, we all should have, we're naturally built with an unconsciousness. You know, the unconscious mind, the subconscious, we call it. Well, the subconscious is just all that information that you don't need to have in your head, flowing through your head all the time, the stream of consciousness where the unconscious just kind of has a leaky gut and everything that's in the unconscious just keeps popping into your head. And there's there's usually a reason why that's taking place. Somebody I was talking to the other day was talking about somebody who could hear everything. You know, it was a small child. He could hear everything going on. every Everything somebody said in the other room. I mean, we have... Many of my kids are able to do that. I was talking to somebody in one room and, and somebody in the other room said, uh, you know, they made a comment about what we were talking about and there was all kinds of noise in the other room, but they were, they were listening into the conversation in the other room. But this kid could hear everything. He could hear every, you know, a drip and, uh, noises outside. Everything was constantly going in. It was just a barrage of noise and I, and, and this was a serious problem to the child. And I said, well, listen. And we were talking about how people drug children with Ritalin and uh, Adderall. There really isn't much difference between Ritalin and Adderall. They're both kind of amphetamines. And uh, they both are neurotropic drugs. Uh, one is a little bit longer lasting and uh, affects different nerves in a slightly different way. But they're doing the same thing. All their side effects are the same. And we were talking about this previous weeks, how people are giving drugs to people because they have certain symptoms. 
they keep giving them. Oh, got to give them another one five hours. Got to give them another one five hours. But the symptoms are actually all the side effects of the drug. The doctor has got them addicted so they think they're giving them a drug that's supposed to deal with the symptoms, but the drug is actually creating the symptoms. But anyway, we'll be back and we'll get into this a little bit deeper. Be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, we're talking about this idea of uh, individuation, which is actually a very uh, natural process. You know, I mean, individuation, they say that by means of dreams, active imagination, or free association, and there's actually several other things that you could throw into that little psychologist. Uh, bag of resources for to help a person bring what is in his unconscious mind up to his conscious mind. And this is usually dealing with, because it's a psychologist term and a psychologist approach, it's dealing with things that you have specifically suppressed or oppressed into your subconscious mind that you don't want to look at. You know, they're traumas. You had a trauma. Some Somebody molested you. Somebody injured you. Somebody scolded you. I mean, it could be very serious or, you know, maybe somebody died uh, that was very close to you. Maybe you were only two years old and your mother died. And that actually created a trauma. It wasn't that somebody actually beat you, but it's just traumatic. And it was painful. So you put it into your subconscious. You didn't want to look at it. You didn't want to deal with it. Uh, there's a story of uh, Sigourney Weaver when she was doing some movie uh, where, which required that she shave her head. Alien or something. I never saw the movie, but uh, I've seen an image of her with a shaved head. But anyway, so she, they gave her a wig that she could wear when she went out in public because she had this shaved head. And and uh, while they were shooting the movie, and of course at home she wouldn't wear it. And uh, and she had a new baby, and uh, so she would go up, you know, to play with the baby or whatever, deal with the baby, change his diaper or whatever, and the babies would see her. And it was her mother, and, but, and she kind of knew it was her mother, but she would look at her, and, and Sigourney says she would do this like where her eyes would span across, but then go up in the air and over her and then past her. She would not look her straight on because she had this bald head. It was just too different. It was too shocking for her to look at her mother. So she was literally traumatized by the fact that her mother came in. I'm, I'm sure she's gotten over it. I hope she's gotten over it. But so trauma can be a very little, minor thing, or it can be a very big thing. But it can cause you to oppress or suppress memories into your subconscious, which can cause serious behavioral problems, anxiety problems later on in your life, 
depending on lots of other factors. Everybody's a little different, and, and all these situations just are vastly amazing. You know, somebody was in a car accident. That's a trauma. I mean, I was in a car accident, and for years when I'd see somebody creeping out at a stop sign, and, you know, how they kind of move forward a little bit, you know, and this is what the accident was that I, I was in, is that somebody came and stopped, and then all of a sudden they shot out in front of us. <laughs> and there was a big ensuing wreck, uh, because they just jumped on their accelerator and leaped out in front of us uh, on a divided highway. Well, ever since then, you know, when I'd see somebody creeping through that stop sign, uh, I would think, like, are they going to do that too? Because <laughs> there was trauma involved. And so... Everybody has these traumas. Some of them are extremely debilitating. But then trauma itself, I mean, sin is the original trauma. When you decided to decide for yourself what was good and evil, and you ate of the tree of the knowledge of evil rather than the tree of life, and then you had to hide from that because that was the trauma. Sin is trauma. So now you don't want to look at that. You hide it. So where do you hide it? In your subconscious. The truth about that you hide in your subconscious. We all do that too. And that can uh, cause serious problems. So the psychologist is trying to deal with some sort of suppressed memory. And he's trying to bring it out. And he says that you can do this by means of dreams and imagination and free association. And the ink block, you know, the Rorschach test. You know, show him the ink blots. And, you know, what does this look like? What does this look like? And it gives them insight into what you're hiding. And he helps you bring that into your conscious mind. Well, this is really what discipleship is all about. I was just reading, even during the break, I went over and read more theories of discipleship from different churches. And they are really confused and lost. And actually even dangerous. Some of these uh, principles of discipleship are very dangerous because they're actually helping you paint over the the truth about what's in your subconscious, your unconscious mind. And you don't want that. You want to see the truth. And ultimately, this is what repentance is, is seeing the truth about yourself, because ultimately what the sin is, is refusing to see the truth about yourself. Adam and Eve refused to see the truth about the fact that they were naked, and so they hid from that truth. In other words, they do not have the power to decide good and evil. They are naked of that power. But they hid from that truth. And and people who study the Bible all the time, many people, I'll say, uh, who study the Bible all the time, are denying the fact that they cannot privately interpret that Bible. They cannot use the tree of knowledge to figure out what that Bible says and figure out the message of that Bible. They can only find out by eating of the tree of life through revelation of the Holy Spirit speaking to them through their soul. But unfortunately, they're letting lots of other spirits seek, uh, speak to them through their soul. And this is what I see going on in a lot of discipleship. You see it in New Agers all the time. And most Christians will admit that New Agers are doing this. But they won't admit that they're doing it too. So where is the truth? What is true discipleship? What What is the true individuation? You know, we all have dreams. We don't all remember them. We all have an imagination. We don't use it all the time. Uh, there's free association is everything you bump into during life, what you see on TV, here in the radio, or going down the road. That's free association. That's, you're in the stream of life. <laughs> 
and you're going to bump into this or that. But are you finding out what? What is the message that is coming to me by? What is God trying to tell me by this thing or that thing or in my life? Well, that takes some serious soul searching, some serious quietude. That's one thing we have out here is a lot of quiet. You can get a lot of quietude out here. And we'd like to open up the retreat ground and let people come out and uh, and be quiet for a little while and maybe be discipled uh, in a way that actually strengthens the poor, the poor who aren't being guided by the Holy Spirit, but being guided by every wind of doctrine that is coming out there and leading them away from God into the hands of the gods of this world. And But this is a spiritual journey. It's not that will manifest itself in a physical way, but it's a spiritual... If you do not go at this from a spiritual way, you're not going to be able to put on the armor of God that only God can supply. I cannot give you the armor of God. I don't have a big closet somewhere with the armor of God and I, okay, here, try this, you know, and try this. No. Only God can give you that and you can own, it will only fit upon you when you're willing to see the truth about yourself and your weaknesses. Not just other people's weaknesses, but your weaknesses. So anyway, uh, uh, the, this individual individuation is a completely a natural process necessary for the integration of the psyche. Supposedly, there are three steps to this, you know. And, and Jungian uh, theory, the the self is one of several archetypes, and it signifies the coherent whole, unifying uh, both the unconsciousness and the uh, conscious minds of a person. You know, according to Jung. This self is realized as a product of this individuation process, which they define in big, thick psychology books. But you don't really need to know all that stuff. I mean, if God leads you to read that stuff, fine, and memorize all that stuff, that's fine. And they they have lots of axioms uh, that they they consider truths uh, that they depend upon. But actually, this is a journey to really get down to where it's really going to help you. And, you know, you can go to a psychologist if you want. I'm not telling people not to or to. But really what you, you don't want to just overcome, you know, I want to deal with this problem, but I don't want to deal with all these other problems. That's not putting on the full armor of God. You want to deal with all your problems and uh, uncover all the elements that are keeping you from your full potential as a, a child of God, which uh, is, evil wants to keep you from that. They don't want you to enter into that kingdom of heaven. That kingdom of heaven, it's not just like, you know, you just walk through this door. Then people think the only time you're going to get into the kingdom of heaven is you die. No. The kingdom of heaven is within you. And it gets within you and it manifests itself within you by tapping into the kingdom of heaven through your soul. And But you can't tap into that kingdom of heaven unless you want to see or willing to see the truth about your soul. The truth about yourself. The truth about your unconscious mind. Now, there's all kinds of stuff in your unconscious mind that shouldn't be in your unconscious mind. should be in your conscious mind. And when you let it into your conscious mind with forgiveness, then the burden is gone. You don't need... It's not in your conscious or subconscious mind anymore. You've forgiven it. You've dealt with it. It's gone. Now, what is in your subconscious mind is what is in heaven. 
if you are getting closer to heaven. What's in your subconscious mind is from hell if you're getting closer to hell. And so how do you get closer to heaven? Because you don't want to get closer to hell. You want to get closer to heaven. You have to follow the way of Christ. And the way of Christ was to gather together with the purpose of serving others. And we're back to that same thing again. So anyway, this this idea of an axiom, which is a statement or a proposition that is regarded as being established or accepted or self-evident, as true. That's what an axiom is supposed to be. And there's a lot of, you know, people have a lot of things that they consider to be true. But, and they consider to be axioms of the truth. But they're really not. You know, and this is where I talked about the fact that you're, uh, are your axioms buttonless? Can I push your buttons <laughs> and upset you? Can I tell you stuff about what you believe to be true and upset you? Because this is this is really important uh, to understand what's really true. Because if there are buttons to your truth, if you're offended, if you're upset by the fact that I question what you believe to be true, then there's it's probably not true. It's it's probably not real. It's probably it may be true in in part because of facts, but it's not of God. Because evil can't push the buttons in heaven. Its finger doesn't go there. It can push your buttons because your buttons didn't come from heaven. Your axioms are not heaven born. They're probably born out of your intellect, out of your ego. See, if I can push your buttons, it's an egotistical axiom. It's not a heavenly axiom. So anyway, we talked about uh, in the Bible, uh, we see the word uh, soul translated as nephesh which is from the same Hebrew letters, nun pe shin, meaning to take a breath. And of course, one of the most profound sermons of Christ, he never said a word. He simply came out of the tomb and came into a room, walked right through the room because he was multidimensional. His body was multidimensional. It was flesh, but it can now, it's multidimensional, like your souls could be. But he could go into heaven, he could go into hell. But he was attached to the Spirit of God. He was, the Spirit of God flowed through him. He was one with the Father. And so therefore he could go into all these realms. You can't do that. Well, you can go into all the realms, but you will be under, you will be under the jurisdiction of evil in some of those realms. But anyway, so this, uh, his, what did he say when he went up to the apostles? He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the physical breathing is not the key there. It's the spiritual breathing. And there is a spiritual breathing. And that's that's where you got to go. you got to learn how to take a spiritual breath. And you want to breathe in from that heavenly source. So, you know, I, I uh, we talked about Genesis 9, 4, 5. But it says, but flesh with the life. And that word is the word for soul flesh with the soul thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. So they're saying that you're not to eat of this life, the blood. And, and people try to interpret that, oh, we can't eat meat with blood in it, which is really a good idea not to eat meat with a lot of blood in it, because disease is also in the blood. <laughs> but what they're really telling you is this is a metaphor for understanding that you were not to take a bite out of one another, and certainly not out of 
the life of one another and certainly not out of the soul of one another. Well, of course, that's actually what people do all the time. They use the court systems to do it. They use government to do it, to take a bite out of their neighbor, to take a bite out of their incorporeal hereditaments of personality. And at the same time, they often take a bite out of their corporeal hereditaments of personality. What are those? Those are the things you own. I saw a picture the other day of where somebody was holding up a big salmon that he caught in a stream. And he was holding it up. There was little signs there, a little arrow that pointed to him. That's me. And then he pointed to his uh, salmon. And this is the product of my labor. And uh, then there was another sign to another image that was behind him, which is this giant grizzly bear, which was clearly looking at his salmon. (laughs) And they say, this is the government. But it isn't really the government. It's your neighbor operating through government to take from you so that they can have more benefits. And the only way to escape that is to become the government of God, the benefactors of God, to gather together and start taking care of one another with the Spirit of God. And then the evil that lurketh in the grizzly bear will not come near you. Just the same as the armies of Pharaoh could not come down upon the Israelites. There was a pillar of fire between the armies of Egypt. Did I say that right? The armies of Egypt and the Israelites. The Pharaoh could not come and attack the Israelites because God stood in the way. That's by the grace of God. And if you gather together in the spirit of Christ, caring for one another, not because one another are perfect, none of you are perfect, but care, learning what it means to care for one another in faith, hope, and charity and according to that perfect law of liberty, then the Spirit of God will intervene between you and that grizzly bear, between you and the armies of Pharaoh. And it isn't something I can guarantee. It's just an axiom. And we see it manifested in the stories in the Bible. And even Jesus says, they couldn't do anything to me Unless God allowed them to do thing, something to me. And that's, that's the truth. That's the way it works. That's the way God works. You know, in Genesis twenty-seven twenty-five it says, And he said, Bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him, and he did eat, and he brought him wine, and he did drink. So Genesis 25. Now, where do we see something expressing the same principle as this? Jesus says, you come into the kingdom. And he says, you over there, get you from me. I know you not. And and he tells them. He says, why? But we've done great things in your name and you're sending us away. Why, why is that? He says, because I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was naked and you didn't give me clothes. Uh, I was thirsty. You didn't give me drink. And the other guys, he said, because you did. You, you, They don't even know they're Christians, but they can come in because they gave drink, they gave food, they gave clothes, they visited them in jail. And they said, when did we do these things? And he says, when you did them to the least of my brethren, you do it to me. He didn't say when you just go out and feed any drug addict that's on the side of the road, any lazy person that's on the side of the road. And there are people on the side of the road that are not just lazy. They're, they're having a hard time. And we should go and help them 
But you're not helping them just by feeding them or giving them water or giving them money. You're not helping them. You, you only help them when you strengthen them. And you only strengthen them when you strengthen spiritually. So this takes us back to individuation. <laughs> you need to bring them aware of what has brought them to the gutter. I can guarantee you that the good Samaritan told the guy that got beat up, don't go this way alone again. <laughs> you know, bring people with you so that you don't get beat up and robbed. Don't be stupid. But the reality, what he really needed to bring with him is this power of the Holy Spirit. I've been, I've had people try to rob me. I'm not saying that I couldn't be robbed. But I cannot be robbed if the Holy Spirit doesn't let me be robbed. The robber has no power. The demons have no power unless I give it to them or God, for some reason, wants to test me. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not going to say I can guarantee this, but I know the Holy Spirit can guarantee it, can stop the enemy, Pharaoh. You know, the enemy, Pharaoh, the enemy, Pharaoh, said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoils, my lust sold. That's what the word there, that, that word lust there. Is actually the same word we see translated into soul. Shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword. My hands shall destroy them. That's Exodus 15.9 if you want to look it up. That word soul there is translated lust in that verse. And because it's the soul patterned after that other realm. That lustful realm. That selfish realm. That realm of Satan, the adversary of God, that dark realm, that will, it's not completely dark there. It just doesn't let in the full light of God. You have to let in the full light of God and you have to act upon that light so that more light comes in. That this is how it works. Augustine described the soul as a special substance endowed with reason, adapted to rule the body. Well, he's right. The soul does rule the body. But it isn't necessarily endowed with reason. It can be endowed with reason. But if you choose to block out that reason, then you're not going to be reasonable. You're going to be unreasonable. Then you look out. The protesters out there that, you know, when they're not received. I saw a group of protesters that supposedly came into a college, university class that was about to start. Now, these kids in the classroom have paid money to the university so that that teacher who was paid money can teach them on a particular subject. I don't know what the subject was. These other students come in saying that they're in a peaceful protest. They have all their signs. There's about 20 of them. And they're not letting the class go on because they're peacefully protesting. They're not peacefully protesting. They're robbing those students of their time, of their money. They're robbing the teacher of its uh, potential obligation to teach those students. They're robbing them because they're not, pre they're preventing them from conducting the class they paid for in the time that they were given to do this. They are, that is a violent demonstration. It is not a peaceful demonstration. But they can't see that. They're blind to that. And then when people call them out on that, they don't quite put it in that clearer words themselves. But when they call them out that we're here to be taught and you're preventing the teacher from teaching us, which is 
basically what I said, but I, I, which is robbery. They didn't say that, but they at least said, they, they described what was going on here. They're yelling at the student who is there in class, telling them, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Be quiet. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. They repeated over and over again with this. And several of them did. Some were even shaking their hands up and down like a little child throwing a temper tantrum. That's a spirit. That's a spirit that dwelleth in them. That they have let in them. It's a selfish spirit that comes straight out of hell. And the, the people in that classroom, they ended up all getting up and walking out. Because they they wouldn't conduct class. And they said, oh, let's just all leave. And they all left. They gave dominion to the evil. Why? Because they themselves have some individuation to do. <laughs> they need the power of the Holy Spirit. They could have got walked up to those people and those people would have run out of the classroom <laughs> like demons. Uh, but they didn't, they didn't have that power. They didn't have that ability because they hadn't let the Holy Spirit into them. You know, the, and the only guy who spoke up was all angry and upset, which is another spirit that come out of, out of hell. So there, it's hell warring against itself on a different level, but still, but that's okay because the devil grows where there's conflict. This is the way the Nicolaitan operates. That's how he conquers you. He creates conflict. He divides and conquers. And so evil was getting both sides in that classroom into subjugation to their realm. Different spirits, but same realm. Same spirit of control. Now, I'm giving you real insight here into the physics of heaven and hell. <laughs> now, there are, there are physicists like Sean Carroll who are thinking that the idea of the soul is an opposition to the quantum field, as we talked about before. In reality, this is what it's all about. Yes, the soul is not a particle. It's a potential. It's a doorway for a particle from another dimension. So, therefore, it's not in our dimension, so it's not going to be measurable with our dimensional dipsticks. Because it's from another, the power that comes in through the soul is from another dimension. We translate that with things like dreams and visions. But we also translate, those dreams and visions are translated through our intellectual tree of knowledge, our mind. And that's where we go wrong. God is giving us messages all the time, but we're not interpreting them. Same as the Pharaoh could not figure out what those calves meant <laughs> coming out of the river, the fat ones and the skinny ones. But somebody who can see both dimensions, he could tell. You are blind as Ray Charles. Maybe blinder <laughs> Ray Charles. But anyway, we'll we'll take another break here, and then we'll come back to Keys of the Kingdom, and we'll see if we can't delve deeper we'll be right back
So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're talking about this idea of individuation, of getting into our subconscious mind and cleaning out the trauma. And Christ was telling us over and over again how to do this. You had to give and forgive. Forgiving is absolutely essential. If you do not forgive, neither will my Father forgive you. That makes it pretty dang important. People all think, oh, I'm saved because Jesus died. Have you forgiven everybody? Oh, yeah, I love all men. But if you dig a little deeper, you poke the axiom of that belief, you'll find out you haven't really forgiven as many people as you say you have forgiven. <laughs> and, you know, I'm sure I've got all kinds of people left to forgive. And uh, I can't remember all the people I have forgiven because I don't even have any reason to remember them anymore. <laughs> I've forgiven them. I can let all that go. Uh, but... Uh, you know, I, you know, it's like uh, when you're herding sheep out in the desert. I, I didn't have, you know, a hundred sheep named. I don't know what all their names are. But the troublemakers, I had them named. <laughs> I knew what their name was. The ones that caused trouble, the sinners, <laughs> they, they stick out because I wasn't forgiving them for leading the sheep astray. But once you start forgiving them, then it, then you can forget about them. You don't have to remember their names so much because you're setting them free from your own control as well. And so, you know, like I said, when I first started raising sheep, uh, we had a lot of sheep that were not domesticated range sheep. They were domesticated, but they were farm flock sheep and they didn't know how to stay together. Now the sheep know how to stay together and they're pretty good at it. And uh, there's bobcats in the field and occasionally mountain lions and coyotes and they stay together pretty good. You still need a shepherd, but you don't have to be standing over them all the time because they will stay together. I'm not running after them all the time because they will stay together because they have learned. And uh, I know, I've seen a few ministers starting out a congregation where they're trying to keep all the people together. and uh, But the people, see, the, the, the kingdom of God is spirit-led through Every individual. So the responsibility of the kingdom is divided amongst everybody in the kingdom. The minister has a certain responsibility, but it's not like your modern churches. He's he's there to be, a, you know, a servant to everybody, but he can only serve as he is supported by Christians. Because he's got, he's, he's supposed to be the, the welfare. We talked about agape. You know, this, this word that we see translated love. And they say that, you know, it's, uh, it's this uh, word that, uh, agape and agapeo. It's translated love 86 times. It's translated charity 27 times. Almost every time that it's translated charity, that's Paul using it. They translate it charity. But if God, if Christ uses it, they translate it love. So if your congregation is not taking care of all the charitable needs of your congregation, if your church is not taking care of all the charitable needs of your congregation, if your minister is sending their congregants to men who exercise authority and take a bite out of your neighbor so that they have food to give you, then you're sucking on the tits of Rome. You're not worshiping at the altars of Christ. You know, the, that was a Roman symbol of the wolf. 
and the two babies sucking on the wolf's uh, milk to nourish them. Well, the wolf was eating <laughs> meat and killing prey. And they were getting the milk from that. And that's Romulus and Remus. That's the ways of Rome. That's not really what we should be doing as Christians. We should not be drinking the milk of wolves. We should be blessing one another. And that's the job of the minister is to move that blessing in a righteous fashion from the people to the people by the contributions of the people for the people. Because <laughs> it's a government of for and by the people operating through the perfect law of liberty through love, through charity. That's what a minister is supposed to be doing. You know, again, during the break, I was looking at looking up at steps to discipleship. Uh, um, Protestants, uh, you know, Methodists, Lutherans, Baptists, uh, plans. Boy, is that a wilderness out there. They haven't got a clue. They're not. They're not discipling people to Christ. Oh, they say it at times. But they're discipling people to their congregation. To get them hooked on their religion, their view of God. They're not taking care of all the social welfare of their congregation. They're sending their congregation to men who exercise authority, which has brought them into bondage, which is a covetous practice, which has made them merchandise, and has cursed their children with that. But they think they're Christians. They're not feeding the hungry. Oh, they'll feed some hungry people. They'll give some money to a food bank. But 99% of all the people that are on welfare, or uh, whether it's Social Security or welfare or public school, uh, all those things are from the men who exercise authority. They're not taking care of one another. They don't love one another. Oh, they say they love one another. But that's because they think love is an emotion. Love is charity. Being there for one another. And you can't do, you can't provide all the services that the world provides, but that's because Christians are taking back their responsibilities. They're homeschooling their kids. That doesn't mean they can't come together and work with other homeschoolers and create a homeschooler co-op where they share books and share ideas and, and do projects together. They can do all that, but they're not sending men to their neighbor's house to take away their salmon, <laughs> their hard-earned living. By force, so that they can build big schools and pay, you know, wages to teachers who are teaching curriculums they don't even understand. And and you've you've done that. You've gone down the wrong path for over a century. You don't even know how lost you are in the woods anymore. You don't even know how far it is to get back to that land of the free and home of the brave. But you got to start back. You got to head back. You got to go back the other way. And we, the, the kingdom of God, it, like I said, is within you. But you're not le- making room for it because you think it's such a limited little thing. It's what you do on Sunday or Sabbath, and you go there and you get this good feeling, you know. And your pastor sings or plays the piano or plays the guitar or whatever you guys do. It you're you know put images up and talks wonderful things and. But they're not getting you any closer to the kingdom of God. They're getting you closer to the, that other realm. 
You know, and they're selling your children into bondage, and they are in bondage. I just posted a thing today that, you know, shared it on Facebook early this morning uh, about the Constitution. The guy was right about a lot of what he said. But in his final analysis, that he was saying that, that, that we've, you know, that our rights came from God. They didn't come from the Constitution. The Constitution put the Bill of Rights in there, not... Uh, to protect us from that, but to remind the government of the fact that uh, it only had the powers that it was granted there. But what he missed in his little dissertation, which was pretty good, was the contractual cause of the Constitution. You, the government is not usurping your white rights. You're waiving them because you're not exercising your responsibilities and exercising your responsibilities to take care of one another without the help of government is what the church is all about. Unspotted by the constitutional orders and systems of government. You're supposed to be taking care of one another. Well, that's going to take a huge amount of trust, a huge amount of sacrifice, a huge amount of diligence. That's why they call it striving. That's why they call it seeking. To take be that government of righteousness, not of force, but of the perfect law of liberty. You cannot have liberty unless you give others liberty. I added to the page on uh, you know, the original constitution of the Indians, the Iroquois Indians. Uh, I added several videos there. Uh, let's see, do I still have that open? I was looking to see. If, oh, yeah, it's called uh, uh, Native American Confederacy. So you look that up at Preparing You, and you can see, you know, Russell Means and... Uh, and uh, you know, Colonel Nelson Miles and his comments, uh, although that's a movie, it's not actual physical comments, but it's a well done speech. But Russell Means kind of tells it like it is pretty much, except for he's in love with the Constitution. And we have some links there to show you that the Constitution was missing some very important elements. And you don't have to write it down in the Constitution in order to make it real in your life. You just have to make it real in your life. You just have to practice. It's it's not a covetous practice. It's a sacrificial practice, a caring practice. It's the altars of God. It's the righteousness of God. It's coming together, not for what you can get, but for what you can give, which is the character of God and the character of Christ. And it's doable. A lot more doable. I mean, people, when they first look at it, they're saying, oh, it's not doable. It's like eBay. When eBay first came out, everybody said, oh, that's never going to work. You know, I'm going to send the people, you know, some guy a bad check and he's going to send me junk, crap, broken stuff. And that's they said it was just going to be a nightmare. It was never going to work. So they created this little system where they had brokers who you would go through a broker and the broker would keep track of the sale and he'd make sure that you got what you wanted and then, then he would pass the money on to the seller. But that just disappeared. That just went away. Now, they added a little bit of software and everything. But what happened was every buyer became his own broker. Every seller became his own broker. And you had to develop this reputation. And even before you had that in in America, we had some really decent people going around. And they were men of their word. But it came from centuries of practice. If you weren't a man man of your word, nobody would do business with you. Hard times brings us in touch with reality. Those demonstrators that came into that classroom they're they're way down the road of unreality. They have they've gone away from the truth and they don't even know it. 
Oh, they are so self-righteous, it's ridiculous. But they don't even know how lost they are. But the ones who were there in class are also lost. And the teacher is also lost. I don't know those particular people. And you're lost. And and we're doing stupid things. So I guess we're stupid. But we can change that. If we let God change us. And the way we let God change us is we press our souls up against the veil of His kingdom. In other words, we we seek to do and go His way. And His way is a way of love, a way of charity, a way of caring about one another. And the more you act upon that, the more the light will come in, and the more the light will come in, the more you will have this process of individuation without a psychologist, but with the great psychologist and great creator who knows the whole plan, who knows the whole truth, and he will awaken us, each of us, to our individual traumas where we will have opportunities to forgive. We may not be able to forgive the person that traumatized us, but we can forgive the person that is in front of us now. We join a congregation not because they are perfect people, but because they are imperfect people, and we are imperfect people. Together we can work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Because we can learn to forgive one another. We are out of practice. We have to learn to give to one another. To bless one another. That is our job here on earth. That is what seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness is all about. It is about turning around and going the other way. It's not just turning around. Repentance is not enough. Repentance and seeking, striving, and persevering is essential to finding the kingdom of God. And so every time that uh, your heart tempts you to be a little selfish, not show up for others, you're pressing, you're pulling your soul off of the veil of heaven. You are cutting yourself off from your salvation. You need to be gathering together with the intent of Christ who came to serve. You're, you, you will not do well. You will do poorly. But you will do better if you persevere. Because God will enter in and help you do better. I can't help you do better. I can tell you you need to do better. I can tell you you're not doing as good as you should be doing. I can show you why you're not doing as good as you should be doing. But you have to commit to Christ, not to me. I'm not going to build the congregation for you. I don't want you to build congregations for you. I want you to congregate on the character of Christ and with the character of Christ striving to be righteous, seeking that righteousness in everything that you do. And there's no end of what you could do if you would do that. And because it's built into the system, the same as eating of that tree of knowledge, being selfish, being wantonness, being lazy, all these things drag you closer to the realm of destruction. But being the reverse of that, And allowing other people to be... You have to allow other people choice. If you want choice yourself. You have to allow other people liberty. 
But you're going to need help. Everybody's going to need help. That's why we age. That's why we grow old. That's why we get sick and infirm. To remind us that we need help. And if we want that help, we need to help others. Because that is the character of God. We don't want just any help. We want help that is sent to us by God. And that's again... You want that pillar of fire between you and those who may offer to help but will serve you deceitful meats. That's what it says in Proverbs. To serve you deceitful meats. You want to eat at the table of Christ. You want to see with the eyes of Christ. You know, I I mentioned Ray Charles. He said, what is a soul? He says, it's like electricity. And that's actually not really true, but it's like an electrical plate. (laughs) Let's put it that way. A conductor. A golden conductor. We don't really know what it is, he goes on to say. But it's a force that can light a room. And that is true. But it lights, you want it to light the room with God's light. With Christ's light. With that white light. And all those who hate the light will be driven away. All those who love the light will be drawn to it. And that is the secret of the kingdom of God. And it is not built by you, but it is edified by you when you let the revelation of God work in you. But in order to do that, you have to see the truth about yourself. If you want to see the truth about yourself, be still and know that you are not God, but God is God. The God of heaven, the God of creation, the God of life, the God who gives His only begotten Son that you might be saved is the God that you want to press your soul against. And then when you do that, His light will come into you. And like I said, when you do that and His light comes into you, you will see what others and you have failed to see. And those that are evil you will have a wall of protection between you and them. And they will avoid you. I mean, they will they will literally drive up to your front door and think, oh, not this house, the next one. <laughs> and so, then that, that brings a secondary problem, which we won't have time to look at. But uh, you don't invite evil into your home. You have to be able to see that it's evil to know not to invite it. So in the meantime, don't invite a lot of people into your home. Seek that kingdom of God. Because you invite evil into your home that you've put yourself in jeopardy. And you you can't see. I mean, obviously you could see some people like the well, the creepy neighbor that I talked about. I mean, you could see that that guy had lots of evil lurking in him. I'm not saying he was evil. It's like the Nicolaitan. God does not hate the Nicolaitan. He hates the deeds of the Nicolaitan. Because the Nicolaitan has been conquered by evil. By an evil idea. And that evil idea is that it's, it, that it's okay to take life from your neighbor. To take a bite out of your neighbor. To take from your neighbor. To covet your neighbor's goods. As long as you do it through government. And that is the lie. And has brought you under a strong delusion. And for some people this is... I mean, you see it out in the world. It's getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And that's just obviously the way it's got to go. 
and and you need to turn around. And you may need to, those of you who want to be ministers, who who need discipleship to find the way, well, that's going to be our next topic probably. And we're going to work in that direction. Hopefully, we'll come up with something that gives you kind of an idea of what discipleship really needs to be inclusive of. Because Christ was discipling the apostles. They were his disciples. Disciple means student. They were students to become the ministers of his kingdom. He was going to appoint them the kingdom. It wasn't like the other governments of the world that exercised authority one over the other. It operated according to the perfect law of liberty. So therefore, it was absolutely essential that it had the cooperation of the elders of every congregation who come together in the spirit of Christ, in the name of Christ, in the way of Christ. The church is only giving you an opportunity to seek that way of Christ. They can't make you do it. It isn't going to tempt you with music and chocolate and candy and sweet things. It's got to be a purveyor of the truth. But what its job is to facilitate your charity. Not not to bind you with guilt or vanity. I actually heard about a, a church that didn't like what one of the fathers, the father was asking questions. Uh, you know, a longtime member of their church was asking questions, hard questions. And they didn't have answers for them. Because they didn't really want the answer. So they shunned him. He's not allowed to come to the church. The people in the church aren't allowed to visit him. They're not allowed to talk with him. They don't even want the the man's own family and children to talk to the man. To uh, counsel with him. He's not even supposed to teach his own children. What happened to what God has joined together let no man put asunder? And all he's doing is asking questions. He wants answers. He's challenging their faith. But their faith is not in Christ. Their faith is in an image of Christ that they have constructed by eating of the tree of knowledge. Otherwise, they would just know, wait a minute, we cannot undermine this man's marriage. We cannot divide his family. We cannot put us under his family. I mean, he's not beating him. He's not cheating on his wife. He's asking questions. We should we should have answers. See, it is it is a policy of the church. We don't tell people not to gather with. Oh, don't gather with those. Oh, don't go there. Don't listen to them. The truth stands of its own power. Our axioms do not have buttons that evil can push. As a matter of fact, evil can't even get near our buttons. <laughs> our buttons are only pushed. By the Holy Spirit. If if we have buttons where they can upset us and they can make us angry and that we can, you know, certainly we're not going to go out and undermine families. That's not our job. We try to bring them together. That's a, that's a common thing and, and the ministers should all remember this as well as the elders do, so they can remind the ministers of this. That when somebody wants to be counseled, you know, like a wife... You need to do this with their husband. You need to do this with others. You you do not want to interfere with that and vice versa, whether it's a husband or a wife. 
that you're not talking to two different people, but one flesh. But anyway, we'll have to talk more about this next time on Keys of the Kingdom. Till then, peace be upon your house, and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.